Today's scripture reading is from James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna, for reading that. just have two additional announcements. One is an addendum to the announcement about Ash Wednesday and Lent. If Lent is new to you, we'll be sending out some information about Lent, why we do it, how we do it here. Uh, But I did want to point out, even though Ash Wednesday is on Valentine's Day, I learned this this week, you cannot spell Valentine without Lent. Just waiting to say that. So I encourage you to come. And two, two other things. Um, we like to say at Trinity Church is family. We have two new members of the church family. Uh, some of you have heard of these little newborns coming into the world, but I just wanted to make sure all of us knew about them. We have um, Everett James Hart, parents Ryan and Suzanne Hart. He was born in January, a little while ago, on the 11th. And then um, just this past week, Kobe Luca Diala, born on February 2nd. But yes, let's just... Now, both parents were praying, waiting long to become parents, so we thank God and rejoice with them. And hopefully we get to meet both Everett and Kobe soon. This year, um, to begin 2024, we're in a teaching series called Embodied. The goal of this series is to bring to the forefront something that in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God, for most of us, I know this is true, Uh, for me, that we have kept in in the background, and that is the body, our body, the bodies of others. Somehow, we could probably point to a lot of reasons. Most of us, I've realized in thinking about this, especially this past month or so, have developed a faith that puts the soul or the spiritual invisible aspects of ourselves and life in these realities into a higher and more holy place than our bodies. But that's not what the Bible teaches about the body at all. One of the most well-known verses that describe our response and what God, God calls us to, Romans 12.1 puts it like this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So our bodies are holy and pleasing to God in Christ. They are a part of our true worship. One image that came to mind for me this week uh, 
is, is this. In a PowerPoint, like if you guys use PowerPoint a lot or any kind of graphic program, uh, there's usually a little feature when you have a bunch of images or text on the screen. There's a little thing you can click that says, uh, bring to front or send to back, right? And that's what brings something to the forefront and what sends something to the background. We as Christians have been sending the body to the back for a long time. So in this series, what we're doing is we're bringing the body to the front. See what the Bible says about that. This morning, I'd like to look at how this fairly well-known passage from James chapter 2 brings the body to the front of our understanding of what genuine and real Christian faith is. And what this shows us about what genuine and real Christian mission is. Mission as, as the task and the calling that we've been given by Jesus as his followers. So it's a little bit of a change of a title in the bulletin. If you're following along, that'll be different in the PowerPoint and in the slides. Instead of the title being Embodied Mission, it's going to be Embodied Faith. We're going to look at, mission, or we're going to look at faith first. We'll begin with faith and we'll land and we'll end with mission. So if you'd like, the points we'll be following as we look at this passage. Here they are. We'll look at what this passage says about dead faith, what it says about real faith, what it says and points to about how to get real faith, and then lastly, we'll end with mission, what real faith leads to, what it does. There's a special, slightly special order of service today, something extra in light of the topic of this sermon. Our main application, my main application for this message will be actually presented by our compassion ministry. So that's going to happen at the end. Just wanted to give you a heads up about that. But let's look at this text together from James chapter 2. The first thing we need to be clear on about this passage is the contrast that James is making here. The contrast that James is making here is not between faith and works. Are we saved by works? Or are we saved by faith? That's not the contrast that, John, that James is making here. Instead, he is contrasting two kinds of faith. Faith that is alive and faith that is dead. Someone who has a genuine faith in Jesus Christ and someone who simply claims to have faith in Jesus Christ but doesn't. That's what this passage is about. That's the contrast. Look at verse 14 again with me. We'll just read it again. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? It's easy to claim to have faith. It's still, it's, it's less common, but still pretty common in our culture to claim to have Christian faith. But what good is it, James is saying here, and he's asking just to make a claim. Does it mean anything? I can claim to be a gifted artist, but what good is it without good art that has my initials on it, right? That says that is something I produce. I can claim to be a real singer. But then you might sit next to me in the front row and say, 
No. <laughs> if you don't have a good voice. I can claim to be a true and real baller. But what good is it if I don't have a good jumper? Which I think I, think I still do. It's been a while. This is the way that uh, the message puts it, the, the message paraphrase. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? James is saying anyone can claim to be a real Christian, but what good is that without works? Not only is it not good, it's bad. It's dangerous. He's saying it's dangerous to the person who claims to have faith and is deceived about it. At the end of verse 14, he says, can that faith even save him? It's bad for the person who is deceived and it's bad for the world who is deceived about what it means to have faith in Jesus by someone who's claiming to be a Christian, but in fact isn't. I just want to pause and think about this with you for a moment. My Christian friends here, in our cultural moment, in this conflicted and culture-warring moment that we live in, we are right to be concerned about the credibility of the Christian faith, the credibility of faith in Jesus Christ. For those who don't know him, for those who are skeptical about Jesus, for those who Uh, would say, I'm not interested in Jesus and don't believe in him, we would say, we're right to be concerned that credibility of faith in Jesus Christ matters. But I wonder if much of our energy and our passion about that is misdirected. So much of it is spent arguing with or combating people who don't claim faith in Jesus Christ and who live like it. But that is not where James' energy and passion is directed in this text. There's energy and there's passion in this text. It's challenging. But where is his energy directed? It's toward those who do claim faith in Jesus, but don't live like it. In other words, it's directed towards people in the church, towards religious people who need to be challenged with this. James is going after what we could call, in light of our whole series, a disembodied faith. And we could go to the next slide there. There it is. Yeah, that one. A disembodied faith, James is saying, is a dead faith. Faith without works is just words. It's just ideas. It's just a claim. It's conceptual. It's theoretical. It's abstract. And James is saying, if that's all we have, look at verse 17, it's like a dead body. Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. At the end of the chapter, James concludes his whole teaching on faith and works in verse 26, same chapter, by using the same metaphor again. He says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. This is a challenging question for us to wrestle with. Is my faith like a dead body or a living body? Is it more than a claim? Is it more than an orthodox set of beliefs that I assent to and hold to? 
The image of a dead body that James is bringing here is very vivid. It's very, it's very stark. It's a bit disturbing. Especially for the Jewish audience who this was written for, the, uh, to be around a dead body, to touch a dead body was unclean. So a dead body not only is lifeless, it doesn't attract. In fact, it repels. It repulses. And James is saying, this is what a disembodied dead faith does. When those who don't claim to have faith in Jesus Christ see this kind of faith, then they are rightly repelled. That's dead faith. Secondly, this leads to the crucial question, does James help us? understand what kind of embodied action, what kind of works are the sign of genuine and real faith? How do we know? James, if you're challenging us like this, how do I know if I just claim to have faith or if I really do have faith? In verse 15 and in verse 16, James tells us, as he has this really short, it's like a story, it's a short masterful story or a parable, it's so simple and concise but it profoundly answers the question, what is the sign of genuine faith? James's answer, genuine faith cares for the bodily needs of others. And we can go to that slide, I believe it's on the second point. Verse 15, if, James is saying, suppose this scenario, a brother or sister is without clothes, now, he's not saying they're like completely naked. They don't have sufficient clothes um, to keep them warm and lacks daily food, just in case that image was in your mind, like what's happening here? Now, this person's not walking into a community like, you know, completely naked. That's not, that's not the picture. They're without sufficient clothes and they're without sufficient food. They lack daily food. And one of you says to them, go, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? It's pretty clear what the problem is here. Someone comes into a Christian gathering and they're given religious words, but James says, they're not given what the body needs. What good is that? And to really feel the force of what James is saying here, you have to understand what the person in this story does do, what do they do, and what they don't do. Verse 16 says, here's what they do. They say to the needy person, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. Now, this would be heard as kind of a traditional Jewish goodbye, right? The word shalom, go in peace. This is a Jewish way of saying, okay, goodbye, you know, um, Go in peace, shalom. It's what we often say at the end of the service, of our service, after the benediction. I'll say, go in peace. And there, there are two ways that this can be interpreted. It's, it's in the middle passive voice saying, go in peace. This could be interpreted as saying, warm yourself and fill yourself. So that would be like an encouragement. So it comes in. Somebody has needs, go, go in peace, be warned and be filled. Okay, hopefully your, your situation gets better. Or it could be even more intense than that. It could be a rebuke. Like, why are you in this situation? You need to go handle that. Like we would say something like, take care of yourself. We might mean that as like, yeah, take care of yourself. That's a nice thing to say or 
You need to take care of yourself. <laughs> you know, go take care of yourself. Or, and I think this is more likely, it could also be read as a kind of prayer, more of like a blessing, where the person is saying, may you be warmed, may you be filled. I.e., may God take care of you. May God take care of your bodily needs. Either way we interpret it, the message is the same. I'm not going to do it. Either you do it, or God will do it. And so what we have are spiritual words, encouragement, prayer, blessing, without any action. As one commentator said, this is a religious cover for a failure to act. You see what James is doing? He's saying to religious people, we can be really good about talk. We are good at sermons and podcasts and books and courses and Bible studies and we're good at saying, I'll pray for you. Sometimes we do it. Words of encouragement, even rebuke. All of which are absolutely necessary but not a sufficient sign of faith if there's no care for the body. Genuine faith cares for the needs of of others, body and soul. If we could go to the next slide, I felt like this commentator just captured it so well. Douglas Moo in his commentary on James says, and let's hear this, he says, this warning, the warning is one that the church needs constantly to hear. Too often we have been content to offer mere words when God may have been calling us to action. Words, sermons, prayers, confessions of faith, Wise advice are indispensable to true Christianity, but they are shown to have real meaning, James reminds us, when people can see actions that correspond to those words. Have you ever heard somebody say, a teacher, a preacher, or something say, our faith tells us to devote ourselves to eternal things, and there are only two things that last forever. The word of God and the souls of people. Have you heard that? Or maybe you've heard someone say, our real mission as Christians is to be winning souls. Soul winning. The point James is making here is, this isn't complete because it's not embodied. James makes the same point earlier. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says there, what is pure and undefiled religion? What's the real deal? To look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's the real deal. The Apostle John makes the same point in 1 John, chapter 3, when he writes, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him or her, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech only, but in action and truth. The real deal is body and soul, word and action. This is the point Jesus makes in the parable of the Good Samaritan that we just heard read earlier. He expands the call from just your fellow believers, which has a priority as the family of God. He says it goes beyond that to anyone who is your neighbor. You can be an expert in the Bible with the right answers, 
but we'll only really know where and whether we have living faith if we care for the bodily needs of our neighbor. It's Jesus' point in the parable. The Bible is clear. Genuine faith cares for the whole person, body and soul. So, we looked at dead faith. It's a disembodied faith. The genuine faith cares for the whole person, body and soul. How do we get this real faith? How do we get a faith that is alive and not dead? And first, I'll have to say, first be careful. Be careful we're reading this text properly. There's a way we can read and apply this that is all wrong. Note carefully what James does not say about getting this real faith. He doesn't say this. This is how we can often hear it. He doesn't say, if you meet the needs of other people, serve the poor and needy, then that will produce genuine faith in you. That's not what he says. In fact, he's making the exact opposite point. If I have genuine faith inside, James is saying, then I will do good to others, body and soul. If I possess genuine faith, I will care for the needs of my neighbor. So the sign, the test, the inevitable result of a real faith that is alive and is real is loving others in word and deed, in body and soul. So illustration to make sure we get this. We have to get this point clear. If I say, and I know this even though I don't know much about gardening and farming, but I could say this with confidence, good soil produces healthy vegetables, yes. But if you went out and bought healthy vegetables at the grocery store and you plant them in your soil hoping that would be a good vegetable garden, that won't work, right? We go, yeah, of course that won't work. You have to get the good soil first. And out of that soil, the vegetables grow. Or if I say, people who have real wealth give away large sums of money. That can be true. And you say, I want to have real wealth, so I'm going to give away large sums of money. That won't, work. That won't end well for you. The point is, to do these works, caring for people, body and soul, we have to get, we have to renew, we have to grow in real living faith in Jesus Christ. And out of this living faith, out of this soil, out of the wealth that we have in him, the works will come. The love for people, soul, and body will grow out of that. Now, in order to see this connection, how does that happen? First, we have to be honest and step back and go, well, why is it so hard for us to do this? Why do we gravitate towards just words only and not action and truth? Well, I think I would summarize it by saying, as I thought about this this week for my own self, there is a bodily cost to genuine love, to the person who would seek to love another body and soul. There's a bodily cost to me. What does it cost to say to somebody, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled? Very little. (laughs) Anybody can do that. You could just say it. It's pretty easy. It doesn't cost you. What does it cost to meet the need? 
Actually a lot. Even using James' story here. If we meet the need, we say, well, I have one less coat or one less blanket. Or maybe I have a little less food or a little less money. In this situation in the first century, somebody comes in and they need food. What do I have to do? Well, there's no like fast food down the street. I got to bring them into my house. I have to prepare their meal. I have to have them in my space. That costs a lot. And if I want to do more than just help for this one-time need for this person, well, that costs even more. They need to be equipped and empowered. They need to understand their situation and their story. That's going to require more time, more energy. I might have to loan them some money. I might have to take them somewhere and give them a ride. And it goes on and on. There is a cost to doing these works. There's a bodily cost to genuine love. In order for us to bear this cost, we need to believe the gospel. We need to let the gospel go to work on the reluctance that we have to bear that cost. The gospel tells us, yes, there is a bodily cost to genuine love, if we think about it. Jesus did not come to us as an invisible soul, impervious to suffering, impervious to the bodily cost of love. He did not, Jesus did not forgive us from heaven. He did not just send the clouds to say like, everybody, hey, you're forgiven. You're restored. He didn't just write the message in the clouds. He didn't just say, I will take care of it through Zelle or Venmo. You just send a message up to me. I need grace. I need forgiveness. And Jesus says, I'll just put it in your account. That is not the gospel. If he did do that, there would be no real cost to Jesus. But our utter spiritual poverty, body and soul, our deep need required more. If Jesus were to represent us body and soul and save and redeem us body and soul forever, it was going to cost him. There was no other way. Jesus says this is necessary. It has to be this way. He would have to take a body, suffer in a body, die in a body to save us body and soul. So Jesus Christ did not say to us, go in peace, be warm, and be well fed. He left the riches and comfort of his eternal glory to become poor. He gave it up. He took on a human body that got cold, that had no place to lay its head. He took on a human body that got hungry. And on the cross, he had no clothing. When he said, I thirst, there was no water given to him. Why? It's because he loves us, body and soul. And so he was willing to bear the cost for our salvation. Not because we were deserving. Not because it was convenient. Not according to his schedule and if he had left over energy to do it. He did it because he loves us and wanted to restore us body and soul. And when our faith is in him, when our heart is melted knowing this is our salvation, this is the cost he bore for us, then we are enabled to bear the cost to love others, body and soul. That's where real faith comes from. 
Lastly, where does real faith lead? It leads to embodied mission. This is coming full circle back to where we began. Our mission, what is it? It is to communicate and demonstrate. It is to convey with words, but also to display what genuine faith in Jesus Christ is to others. That others might come to know him and see him and come to faith in him. How do we do it? We do it through words, through preaching, teaching, sharing the gospel, and praying, and also through caring for the bodily needs of those who need our help, our neighbors. It's not enough just to say, go in peace, be warm and filled. We're called to give those who lack what their body needs. We're called to an embodied mission. Here's how I'd like to close and transition. I'd like to close with a different energy than maybe I've had and maybe James has had. This is an intense passage. It's meant to challenge us. It's meant to force us to examine ourselves and our lives and our response to Jesus and his grace towards us. So there's a lot of intense energy of challenge. But I'd like to close with the energy of encouragement. I believe our church does take this passage seriously and this call and this mission seriously out of the gospel motivation of all that Jesus has done for us. We are doing embodied mission in many ways. And I would say, as I look at it, probably more than in my seven years here as a part of this church, as, as, as uh, serving as pastor here, I think we're doing this more than ever. And it is exciting and it is encouraging We're taking a passage like James 2 very seriously, caring for what the body needs for those in our church and in our community, loving people, body and soul, demonstrating the gospel. We have brothers and sisters who are a part of our church who are leading the way in this. And we call them our compassion team, our compassion ministry. Who are volunteering to teach us and to show us and to help us do this. So I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. And then our compassion team, a representative from the team to uh, Fernando Mora and Michelle Mora are going to come and they're going to help us to apply this text, help us understand how we are doing embodied mission as a church and how we can join in. Uh, maybe if it's something that's new to you, if you've never considered it, how you could consider being a part of that. So let's pray together. And then Fernando and Michelle, you can come up here on the stage. Let's pray. Father, we know that sometimes we really need to be challenged. We know this because your word does it. In a number of places, especially in a passage like James chapter 2. And so I pray as we are each thinking and wrestling about this text and how it meets us and challenges us that you would convict and reveal areas where our faith needs to come alive. I pray that we would be struck again, our hearts would be melted and renewed in the incredible gift that we have been given by Jesus, the cost of our redemption and that from there 
we would be able to have new eyes to see the needs that are around us and to respond, even if it costs us to respond so that our faith would continue to mature and so that Jesus, our Lord, might be seen by those whom we serve and by others who wonder what genuine faith is. Lead us, Lord, as we hear the report from our Compassion Ministry, more and more an embodied mission, that you might get the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to have, sorry, we're going to have the team share first. I heard you guys come up. I was like, is that the Moras or is that the team? We'll have the Moras share, but you guys are ready for a closing song right after. Oh, yikes. Can I just like yell instead? <laughs> this is intimidating. All right, cool. All right, so um, I know some of you guys know us. Um, we're Mich- uh, Michelle and Fernando. Um, I think just to help set a little bit of context, um, I think it might be helpful for, to give a little bit of background for us um, before we came to Trinity. Um, so uh, Michelle and I both um, and our families have, been, uh, have, have dealt with kind of generational you know, fatherlessness, um, you know, orphan, you know, orphanhood or whatever the proper term is. But um, we've seen the impact of essentially kind of some of the texts that we read today uh, can have like on generations um, and seeing the actually surrounded by a community when we were younger and seeing a lot of how that looks into adulthood and how that impacts people, especially when there is no church members to step in and, you know, help and um, help support practical needs. So um, I think when we, as a family, we just decided, you know, some of the, some of the ways that we wanted to um, use the, the time and resources that God gave us was to really pour into different um, communities like this, right? Communities that needed help, um, orphans, um, single parents, um, people who deal with, you know, severe health issues, all kinds of stuff like that. So um, when we came to Trinity a year and a half ago, um, actually, I think almost two years ago now, sorry, um, almost two years ago, I think Pastor Eric and just different folks were talking actually about uh, compassion ministry. So it was going on uh, before we got here. And um, specifically, I think what was called out was um, this ministry called Care Portal, um, Family Promise, um, Heart Park, Home for Refugees, Skyview School. So just so many different ways that um, Trinity was going back into the community and not just sharing the gospel theoretically and telling people words like Pastor Eric so eloquently said, um, but also, you know, practically meeting needs, um, you know, health needs, housing needs, uh, food, clothing, uh, all of these different things. And I think immediately as Michelle and I were kind of, our old church was shutting down and we were like, where are we going to end up? Um, immediately that day, she, at the end of service, she was like, I think this is where we're supposed to be. Um, so it's just, it's, especially in an area like, you know, Orange County that's very um, well off in a lot of ways. It's, it's very difficult to find churches who say the right things, but also follow through and do the right things as well, um, from, from our opinion, you know, subjective opinion. But um, so we felt like this was exactly where we needed to be. So um, I'm going to highlight just a few things about Care Portal or, you know, all these different uh, ministries and our team. Uh, anything you want to add before I do that? No. About choosing Trinity? <laughs> about Compassion Team, how you got? Oh, okay. Well, um, 
Shout out to David Tall, miss him, because he was really the, I think, the brains of this entire ministry and coordinating all of this. But um, our church is so unique in that we have so many facets and multiple ways that we can get involved as a community to serve the community around us. And Care Portal specifically spoke to our hearts because um, as former foster parents, we um, saw that the needs were so great and they were actually so close by. And I saw the hearts of so many people who wanted to serve our community and to um, help reach children and families that were in crisis or in need, but they're not sure how to do that. Um, And Care Portal makes it um, so easy because you are in contact, Fernando and I are in contact with social workers, we'll choose needs that um, either foster families, maybe it's people that are taking in a child, maybe it's a domestic violence um, victim, and she is leaving her abuser, and she needs um, assistance in caring for her children. Um, it could be a grandma that's taking in her kids, her children's kids, and um, Care Portal is incredible because we're able to reach this community. We're able to meet practical needs of these families, um, but we don't just stop there. It's not about just monetarily how we can fit um, fill those needs. It's about being able to drive out and love on these people who um, so are in such desperate situations. And um, in building those relationships, we are then able to minister them to them, keep in contact with them, and share the gospel through actions and through prayer. Um, we've, I believe, met a hundred need, a hundred kids' needs. No, yes, hundred children are served through Care Portal, specifically. Um, we have so many different beautiful stories, um, but these are things we can do with our families. I take my kids with me to go um, gather the items that. Um, these families might need and then they hop aboard with me and we go drive it to them and um, we get to meet them we get to I I've stayed in contact with even the first the very first family that we served Um, she'll still reach out to this day um, when she needs diapers or prayer or anything really and they know that it's a safe spot in which they can find that care um, so I think we're, I mean, we are just so beyond blessed to be part of this church that has, um, the ability to serve the community and live out the gospel. Um, I think that's it. You want to share about Lyman? Um, oh yeah. So, um, one of the needs we recently met over the holidays was, um, there was a man who had, uh, five, four or five children, um, lost his wife a year ago or a year and a half ago. Um, and was living in a kind of a, a back house in a little area of a placentia, and um, his washer had broke, broken. So as you can imagine, many children, single parent, um, and having to do laundry, at a, take it to a laundromat, and working, you know, just all the different um, things that like, you know, I think of, when I think of situations like this, I think of what would we do in a situation like that? Like for us, 
you know, having to deal with like a broken washer, but there's two of us. I can't imagine if it was only me, you know, with all, it's a lot. So um, we ended up actually um, not just helping meet the need for providing him a new washer dryer um, that worked and he was very excited about. And I think we shared that in one of the uh, newsletters, but also, um, and this is one of the reasons that we felt like this is exactly where we need to be, you know, a year and a half ago, was that um, many families here stepped up and uh, provided Christmas gifts. Um, so I had reached out and said, hey, are there other things that we can help with? And he said clothing would be a big one. So um, different people went out and, and bought a lot of clothing for his children. And uh, we delivered that, and they were very appreciative. So, um, And that's just one, one of the ministries uh, is Care Portal. And another one is uh, Heart Park, just some highlights here from the different ones. Um, we've distributed 360 gift cards um, at Heart Park. Um, we've fulfilled 42 wish lists through the, the Giving Tree project, which, was, which included the Care Portal family, but other families as well um, who had um, severe needs. Um, four Skyview families were served with furniture and other necessities as they moved into their uh, permanent housing. Um, so $2,000 was donated to Family Promise for two new facilities. Um, and then uh, actually 14000 total was spent on all of these different compassion ministries um, this last year. So we're, uh, yeah, we would encourage you guys, if, if any of this feels like, you know, you're like, hey, I think some of the time that I, I have or, or some of the, uh, you know, capacity, you know, and skill set um, can be used, I would highly encourage you to visit the booth. Um, there's different ways that we can talk about how to get involved. Um, you can also come up to me and Michelle um, and ask us about it as well. So um, I think I'll close with that.